0: Welcome to Village Farms International's Second Quarter 2020 Financial Results Conference Call. Yesterday, Village Farms issued a news release reporting its financial results for the second quarter ended June 30, 2020. That news release, along with the company's financial statements, are available on the company's website at villagefarms.com under the Investors heading. Please note that today's call is being broadcast live over the Internet and will be archived for replay both by telephone and via the Internet beginning approximately one hour following the completion of today's call. Details of how to access the replays are available in yesterday's news release. Before we begin, let me remind you that forward-looking statements may be made today, during or after the formal part of this conference call. Certain material assumptions were applied in providing these statements, many of which are beyond our control. These statements are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied in forward-looking statements. A summary of these underlying assumptions, risks, and uncertainties is contained in the company's various securities filings with the SEC and Canadian regulators, including its Form 10-MDNA k for the year-ended December 31st, 2019, and the 10Q for the quarter ended June 30th, 2020, which are available on EDGAR. These forward-looking statements are made as of today's date, and except as required by applicable securities law, we undertake no obligation to publicly update or revise any such statements. I'd now like to turn the conference over to Michael DeGilio, Chief Executive Officer of Village Farms International. Please go ahead, Mr. DeGilio.
1: Thank you, Jack. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. With me on today's call is Village Farms Chief Financial Officer Stefan Ruffini. Today's call begin with a review of the highlights of the quarter, most notably the sixth consecutive quarter of profitability for Pure Sun Farms, as well as positive EBITDA in our produce business. Steve will then review our financial results and I'll return briefly discuss why we remain so confident in the future of our company and we'll we'll open it up to Q&A. Before I begin with respect to COVID-19, I am again pleased to report that all our Village Farms and Pure Sun Farms facilities in Canada and the US have continued to operate uninterrupted as they have since the start of the pandemic. We have experienced an extremely small number of COVID-19 illnesses at two of our four produce facilities in Texas only. However, appropriate protocols were followed and have been no material disruptions to our operations. Our success to date in managing the challenges of the pandemic is a testament to our adherence to the recommendations of health authorities at all levels of government, which are over and above the already high standards of hygiene practices and safety protocols already in place as a highly regulated fresh food producer. In fact, other than the slowing of the build out of provincial retail cannabis infrastructure and its effect on industry sales, COVID-19 has had no material negative impact on our operation to date. And at this time, we don't foresee any lasting impacts going forward. So before I start my scripted remarks, I just want to say how important this most recent quarter was for us and how pleased I am with the results. We proved clearly that Pure Sun Farms can lead the Canadian cannabis market with the highest quality products at aggressive pricing and deliver profitability. It is clear evidence of the long-term durability of our business. Now, on to the highlights for the quarter. Starting with Pure Sun Farms, of which, I remind you, we own just under 59% as of the beginning of the second quarter. So the second quarter continued to demonstrate the earnings capability of pure Sun farms, the direct result of transitioning existing low-cost, large-scale, technologically advanced growing operations to cannabis production, 30-plus years of experience in vertically integrated intensive agriculture the best management team in the industry at Pure Sun Farms, a frugal approach to SG&A, a pragmatic, well-thought-out approach to brand and product positioning, and an overriding focus on cash flow generation and a clear understanding of what is required to compete in the Canadian market. In Q2, we generated our sixth consecutive quarter of positive net income and our seventh consecutive quarter of positive EBITDA. That's every quarter since we started shipping cannabis at scale, which was back in Q4 of 2018. And we achieved this while transitioning from selling entirely into the wholesale market to now predominantly branded retail sales. All in cost of production per gram for Q2, and I will once again emphasize that this includes appreciation and also includes packaging logistics. It's all in cost, was 84 cents Canadian dollars per gram. This brings Pearson Farms' average all-in cost per gram for the last four quarters to 80 cents Canadian. While we are obviously pleased to continue to lead all Canadian public greenhouse and indoor producers in this important metric, most by a fairly wide margin, we are also confident that we can still bring this number down further as we continue to refine and enhance our operations and especially as we bring our own extraction operations online, grow new strains, and further hone our growing techniques. The ability to grow high-quality cannabis at an industry-leading cost is clearly a competitive advantage for pure sun farms, providing significant pricing power while still generating profitability. I want to mention here that we are currently evaluating if we're going to continue to provide cost of goods sold on a program basis going forward. It has never been to our advantage competitively to have this number in the public domain. We do not provide it for our produce business for this very reason. Having established ourselves as a low-cost leader and with a proven track record, we are of the mind that gross margin, net income, and EBITDA figures going forward should suffice as a measure of our operational performance. At the top line, retail branded sales for Q2 were slightly up on a dollar basis from the first quarter of this year. However, sales volume increased 89% from Q1. As we ramped up the introduction of our large format value products, which I will discuss more in a moment, um, it is important to note that we still generated a 33% gross margin in Q2, even with our aggressive pricing strategy and the shift in sales mix to a high proportion of large format product. This is a very, very important takeaway in this quarter. And we also demonstrated with this aggressive pricing, again, because we must compete with the illicit trade, we can impact the market. We are seeing this momentum continue with a solid start to Q3. I will note that July was a record month for sales of Pure Sun Farms products by the Ontario, Alberta, And British Columbia Provincial Boards to their retailers and through their own websites. Wholesale sales, as expected, were down sequentially from the outside levels levels in Q1, which included some large non-monetary sales through extractors in which we exchanged flour for dissolute. We are seeing an uptick in sales activity to other licensed producers. We believe this to be a result of the continuing challenges that some of our Other producers are having around growing quality cannabis at scale and at a viable cost of production. We mentioned previously that one of our corporate goals is to attain 20% market share of the Canadian market while providing 35% of the cannabis supply. And I'll note again that when comparing Pure Sun Farms Q2 results to those of last year, the entirety of Q2 2019 sales were wholesale sales, no retail prior to the receipt of our license to sell directly to provincial boards and enter the retail market. Recall that this was a wholesale market pricing was was at its peak, shortage of product at that time, in the neighborhood of three times the current wholesale spot price. That was just one year ago. That said, in the current wholesale environment, we are seeing the buyers will pay for the right product and high quality product. So ahead, notwithstanding any additional impact from the COVID pandemic that may have on the border market, we expect a second half to the year for pure with a number of potential growth drivers. Those drivers being first legal cannabis market all well, continues to grow. Now at a run rate above two point billion dollars, more than one and a half times where it was just a This will be increasingly supplemented by conversion of illicit market consumers as price, quality, safety product, selection and access through more retail stores in the legal market continues to improve. It's worth noting here that the OCS reported that in the fourth quarter of 2019, more than 80% of cannabis consumed in Ontario was still purchased in the illicit market. That's more than 80% just months ago. This proves an excellent reference point for the size of the opportunity, especially for those who have a leading share in the legal market. We have made it for one of our we have made it for one of our clear priorities since launching retail to lead the conversion of traditional users into the legal market. We believe this is ultimately how the majority of traditional users want to purchase, provided they can find easy access to quality products at an attractive price point secondly we are seeing momentum in a number of bricks and mortar retail stores across canada especially in ontario obviously this will benefit many suppliers but clearly pure sun farm stands to benefit disproportionately given the strength of its market share again especially in ontario third we continue to launch new products in the dried flower category which still by far, is the largest market and probably for the foreseeable future. And then rounding out its SKUs in terms of package size and adding two new strains, two exciting new strains, including high THC strains this quarter. We've entered the market with aggressive pricing, and our large format value products have consistently ranked among the best-selling dried cannabis products with the Ontario Cannabis Store since their launch at the end of Q1. Fourth, we expect Pure Sun Farms will continue to add new provinces. It began shipping to Saskatchewan at the end of Q2, and Manitoba last month uh, as well. These two provinces added access to an additional 10% of the Canadian market. Pure Sun Farms products are now available in five of the six largest provinces, which make up 70% of Canada's population, the majority of the remaining 30% is Quebec, so clearly that market is a high priority for us moving forward. Finally, and most importantly, Pure Sun Farms will start shipping its first bottled oil and other 2.0 products for retail sales, beginning with its three largest markets eminently. And we will continue with our aggressive pricing strategy while we'll continue to elevate quality and offer products that consumers want. It is a proven winning proposition. It is also a necessity to capture share from the illicit market. This is how to compete in the Canadian marketplace. Importantly, Pure Sun Farms will enter these new categories on the back of its continued leading market share in dried flour. Our strategy was to first establish a commanding position in dried flour, which still dominates the market, as I said, before entering new categories. I am pleased to report that for Q2, Pure Sun Farms' was once again the top-selling dried flour brand by volume with the Ontario cannabis store which is shy of 14 percent. That marked three consecutive quarters in which Pure Sun Farms has been the top-selling brand every quarter since Pure Sun Farms entered the retail branded market in late September last year and I'm smiling as I say that because it's an incredible accomplishment by the Pure Sun Farms folks. In fact, if we look at the data all the way back to October 1st of last year through the end of July of this year, a 10-month period, Pure Sun Farms still ranks number one. I just want to pause on this for a moment. Since October of last year, Ontarians have purchased more Pure Sun Farms dried flour product than any other brand. I would like again to congratulate the team at Pure Sun Farms, it's a tremendous achievement. So. Amidst a rapidly evolving market with a continuous stream of new product introductions, Pure Sun Farms has consistently had products in the number one, number two, or number three spots for dry flour, often having multiple products among the five best-selling products. It's worth noting that Pure Sun Farms has achieved this with no major promotional expenditures, no celebrity partnerships or endorsements, No media hype, just great brand positioning executed by second to none management team. It's one of the reasons SG&A remains low. As I have discussed many times, this is a direct result of Pure Sun Farm strategy, high quality products that consumers want and an attractive price. And I will add that we weren't all surprised when a recent survey found that more Canadians believe the best cannabis is grown in British Columbia than any other place In Canada and in fact is world-renowned it isn't folklore as grow as we know that BC is hands down the best location to grow cannabis in Canada and that matters to the quality of the product selecting the best growing region is critically important like Bordeaux in France and Napa in California geograph geographical location for growing matters it's not about the location you have it's about having the right location as I've Discussed on past calls, we don't get the same level of sales detail for the other provinces in which we sell, but based on the data we do have, we continue to see strong brand and product performance in Alberta and BC, which we've just recently started shipping to both provinces. The biggest challenge right now for Pure Sun Farms, as it is for all suppliers, is that there are simply too many producers in the market for the size of the legal market, upwards of 50 in some provinces. And there appears to be an interest on the part of the provincial boards, at least in the short term, to spread their budgets around. That said, the market is steadily growing, and the supplier landscape will shake out. It has to. There are too many producers that simply don't have a durable business model, too many producers that are not able to grow quality or grow it at viable cost, and too many producers are consuming their balance sheets, quarter after quarter, year after year. In the interim, we have temporarily scaled back production at Delta 3 to better align our output with sales for the next term. Uh, with 16 grow rooms in Delta 3, we have the flexibility to easily and quickly adjust product volumes, as well as products we are growing. We are focused on cash flow generation and therefore how much we can sell, not how much we can grow. We Recall that Pure Sun Farms' goal is to capture at least 20% of the dried flower market in Canada over the long term, a level was achieved that we actually achieved in the month of April in Ontario. And we remain confident that as the Canadian industry moves beyond its startup phase and operates as a mature, efficient market, this goal is well within reach. Our industry-leading greenhouse cultivation costs will continue to be a significant advantage in support of further market share growth in the legal market, and of critical importance, capturing meaningful share from the illicit market. Competing directly with the illicit market is what will truly drive sales. It is the key near-term strategy for Pure Sun Farms, and the tactics to achieve this are in place, working, and validated. Again, this positions us very well for the launch of our bottled oil and 2.0 products in the very near term. So quickly about our produce business turning, uh, Village Farms has had a, a strong second quarter delivering nearly a six million year over year turnaround and adjusted EBITDA to generate positive $1.2 million EBITDA. The increase was a result of a number of factors. First, we continue to make steady progress in our strategy to transition our own growing capacity that we displaced for cannabis to partner growers in both Mexico and Canada. Second, we continue to focus on cost management, and third, we benefited from higher pricing due to the elevated consumer demand resulting from more consumers now eating at home. The vast majority of our produce business is through grocery stores and not food service. Pricing has remained strong in Q3. This is especially encouraging, given that the organization that underlies our produce business is the engine that is driving our next phase opportunities as we continue to position Village Farms For the evolution of cannabis and cbd both domestically and internationally i want to note here that since entering the cannabis space back in june of 2017 village farms has not hired one additional person to pursue these opportunities we have leveraged the breadth and depth of capacity of our existing organization with our produce business paying the overhead to pursue this outsized potential it really underscores who village farms is at at its core a vertically integrated company that continues to produce high-return agriculture based products so going on quickly to the US CBD and cannabis in the US we continually closely watch and are active in the regulatory developments around CBD we are somewhat encouraged by the FDA's recent comments about providing a clearer regulatory framework around the use of CBD and products as well as the prospects for federal legalized high THC cannabis in the USA With one of the largest greenhouse footprints in North America, we can move instantly on either of these markets and already having a head start on on a conversion of our Permian Basin facility. We intend to be a major force in the U.S. market. We recognize the FDA's other priorities at the moment, however. We also believe the agency recognizes the importance of providing a clear path forward that will allow companies, large and small, to make prudent, well-informed, risk-mitigated decisions. To enable the industry to flourish and prosper to its full potential let me be clear we are currently in a holding pattern but we are fully committed to the CBD market we have just seen too many companies struggle with vague regulations and broader industry that is significantly hamstrung by the resulting risk we are simply being prudent we don't need to be in the market now and we won't put our shareholders at risk on an international side, Pure Sun Farms is clearly and consistently executing on plan in Canada and we believe is well-positioned for growth for years to come as one of just a few large industry suppliers that will dominate the market. This has enabled us as a management team at Village Farms to turn our attention to, existing, to extending our international reach, always with a focus on prudent capital allocation for well-researched opportunities with outside potential returns, both short and long term we took our first step in July when acquisition of just under 16 percent of the netherlands based business called Dutch can grow Dutch can grow is a consortium of partners with various expertise that has applied for license become one of no more than 10 licensed suppliers to so somewhere around 80 cannabis shops known there as coffee shops in the 10 cities under the experimental government program these 10 cities will comprise the first legal recreational cannabis market in Europe the intention of the program being to improve the safety of cannabis products in the Netherlands and curb the criminal involvement resulting from the current illegal climate of growing and supplying products to the Netherlands there are many companies vying for just a few licenses, but we are optimistic about our prospects based not only on the outstanding group of partners at Dutch can grow but the specific cannabis experience in Canada that we bring to the table while the long-term possibility that the program could be nationalized to more than 500 coffee shops this opportunity is meaningful in and of itself but we also view it as a potential springboard to other legal cannabis opportunities especially in the European markets and you know obviously we realize these these are long-term decisions and we're excited about that some of these markets may take years Uh, to develop, but it's important that we stick a flag in the ground now, and that's what we're doing. And then also, we recently acquired 6.6% of Australian-based Altium International, which is one of Asia-Pacific's leading young, new CBD platforms with high THC cannabis opportunities in Australia and New Zealand with the option to increase their ownership. Altium is pursuing the Asia-Pacific market via three channels, proprietary consumer brands, commercial CBD ingredients for foods, beverages, cosmetics, and other consumer packaged goods, and educational experimental retail stores for both Altium's own and partner products. They are already off to a great start in Hong Kong, which has one of the most progressive regulatory environments for CBD and are building out their presence in other large target markets. We are actively exploring other international opportunities that will leverage our Canadian success to date in Canada. And I do want to take this opportunity to remind you that our international, uh, that our Village Farms international farm, 2.6 million square foot Delta One facility adjacent to uh, the Pure Sun Farms greenhouse facility is available to transition to CBD or high THC cannabis for export. Should Pure Sun Farms choose not to exercise its option on that facility prior to the expiration in September 2021, I'd like to turn the call over to Steve, and he'll take us through the results, uh, financial results in summary. Steve? Thanks, Mike.
2: Uh, I will review some headline figures from our Q2 results by business line. First, produce, while not the business line that most want to talk about, is our historical business and base business as we move into a new agricultural-based CPG business line. Our top line Q2 produce sales increased year-on-year by 15% in US dollars to forty seven point six million from forty one point three million with cost of goods sold relatively flat year on year, resulting in an improvement in our gross margin of six point five million uh from twenty nineteen, providing a gross margin percentage of seven point four percent in the second quarter of twenty twenty versus a negative gross margin in the second quarter of 2019 of 7.2%. Historically, Q2 has been a tough quarter for our produce business due to the dynamics of the North American tomato supply. Business as all U.S., Canadian, and Mexican greenhouse producers are producing in this three-month period. Basic economics presides. Higher supply in a relatively flat year-round demand business results in historical challenging market pricing in the spring and early summer months year in and year out. But historical dynamics, like many things in 2020, have been turned on their head, in our case, to the positive. We are experiencing increased demand consumption from our retail customers, who, as Mike mentioned, our big-box grocery store, national grocery store chains, as most people are staying at home and eating at home, while tomato supply around the world has its own issue with its own virus, which is resulting in lower tomato supplies, so basic economic 101 is occurring. Increased pricing. Year on year, our Q2 2020 average tomato pricing increased 39 percent from our average price in 2019. The increase in pricing was even more prevalent in our large commodity tomatoes, beefsteak and TOV, as we have seen an increase in consumption in larger tomatoes since the outbreak of coronavirus. A reversal of the consumer trend over the last few years to smaller, higher-priced, more flavorable tomatoes. We're forecasting a continuation of strong year-on-year pricing, resulting in positive EBITDA and cash flow from our produce business, uh, which bear, is bearing all the cost, public company cost of, of Village Farms for the remainder of 2020. Now to the headline cannabis business. For the new investors, our cannabis business today uh, or the, for the new investors today, our cannabis, cannabis business is solely through our Canadian joint venture, Pure Sun Farms. While Village Farms owns 58.7% of Pure Sun Farms, we cannot consolidate it as we do not control it. As such, Pure Sun Farms' financial results only show up in the Village Farms statutory results as a one line item in our income statement and a one line item on our balance sheet. We do show the full Pearson Farms balance sheet and income statement uh, for the quarter and the six months ended June 30th in U.S. dollars in our financial footnotes, which are available uh, in our 10Q, which was filed last night, which was published as of this morning. Pearson Farms saw a substantial decrease in sales margin in EBITDA in Q2 2020 when compared to Q2 2019. The market conditions, the Canadian market and demand and supply aspects have clearly changed materially in the last 12 months, uh, and not due to coronavirus, as some have, have, have blamed. As such, comparing our Q2 2019 and Q2 2020 um, results um, is, is not indicative of the progress Pearson Farms has, has made. In, t- in Q2 2019, the marketplace was 100% wholesale everything Pearson Farm is producing essentially was, was being purchased by other LPs in anticipation of cannabis 2.0 uh, as well as uh, the expectations by the Canadian marketplace of continued and, and quick rollout of provincial retail outlets which uh, did not occur. Jumping Jumping to a, a year later, uh, we have a total different marketplace dynamics. We clearly have too much supply and, as Mike mentioned, too many suppliers. Hence, the average retail channel price in Q2 2020 is less than half of the Q2 2019 wholesale price uh, that we received, resulting in a material change um, when you look at our results on a year-on-year basis. A better comparison is comparing Pearson Farm sales in Q2 to Q1 of 2020, but that too did experience a substantive change due to both the compression of demand uh, as a result of store closures and stay-at-home orders in Canada, but primarily driven by the demand for the large format product versus the small format product, which historically had, or at least historically for six months, had been uh, the driver of our business. As Mike mentioned, quarter on quarter, the provincial retail sales volume increased 89%. This was driven by the large format, lower priced SKUs, uh, which were predominant products sold in Q2, which was 80% of our sales uh, in Q2, uh, provincial or large format. Um, but as a result, show still a very profitable business for us, um, which is reflected in our, in our gross margin. As Mike has mentioned, with respect to our cost per gram metric, which is not an industry standard by any form of the imagination, um, we did provide that this quarter, uh, but as Mike mentioned, uh, we probably will stop pro- providing that. Uh, as it's not a great comparison. When one compares Q2 2019 to 2018, the 2020 cost of goods per gram was $0.84 cents Canadian versus last year's $0.65 cents per gram. Last year was 100% wholesale, so it doesn't involve any packaging or logistics cost. In 2020, with predominantly most of our volume going to retail, which will probably be the case of uh, From now going forward, our cost of goods sold will reflect packaging logistics as well as increased post-harvest labor uh, involved with um, handling uh, and treating the post-harvest flower and trim, uh, which will become more prevalent uh, as we enter Cannabis 2.0 in the third quarter. Just one other quick note on our balance sheet and cash flow, which tend to get overlooked by the headline that cannabis business. Uh, are for the six-month ended June 30, 2020, Village Farms had positive cash flow from operations of $2 million versus uh, a $9 million uh, cash outflow for the six-month end of 2019, an impressive $11 million turnaround. Village Farms sustaining itself from its produce business, uh, we're not diluting our shareholders uh, or raising cash just for the sake of supporting ourselves. Uh, we were able to fund the two acquisitions and or not two investments, as Mike mentioned, uh, in Holland and Asia from our produce cash flow. Um, and we look forward to a continued strong uh, final six months of the year. With that, I'll turn it back over to Mike.
1: Thank you, Steve. So we are now at a place where we can really see the future of Village Farms coming into focus. We are realizing our vision to become a highly profitable, plant-based, consumer-packaged goods company, leveraging our decades of experience in large-scale, low-cost, intensive agriculture, and our vast organizational capabilities as a vertically integrated supplier to the North American major grocers and big-box retailers for emerging, for new, and high-value opportunities. At Pure Sun Farms, our plan does not change from day one. Lead the industry as a low-cost producer of quality product. Establish and grow a leading market share in dried cannabis. Leverage that brand performance for other large product categories and do it with consistent profitability. We look forward to watching Pure Sun Farms build on its success with the imminent launch of its Cannabis 2.0 products and the Canadian industry still continues to grow. We are at the leading edge of the global cannabis cannabis frontier, and this is a massive opportunity, and we are proud to already be one of the most successful companies in the world in this new industry, but also excited about our many future opportunities at home and abroad in CBD and in cannabis, and that will drive shareholder value in the near term, midterm, and longer term. And I just want to reiterate my opening comments about how pleased I am with the Q2 results, they clearly show the earnings power of Pure Sun Farms and how this part of our business will continue to deliver value for our shareholders. We push the envelope on pricing in the second quarter to demonstrate that we can compete with the illicit trade day in and day out and be profitable. That is a huge demonstration. And with that, we will take any questions that you may have.
0: Certainly. At this At this time, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1. Aaron Gray with Alliance Global Partners. Your line is open.
3: Hi. Good morning, and uh, thanks for the questions. Uh, I guess, you know, first one for me, and also congrats on another, you know, quarter of profitability for Pearson Farms. But, you know, first one for me, as we look at the top line on the retail side specifically, you you mentioned, you know, still doing well in Ontario with 14% market share. Uh, you know still in the early days of Alberta and BC but specifically with those two provinces you mentioned you know a lot of competition and competitors there so just wondering if you could give some color in terms of how much that's kind of Im- impacted the repurchase rates there and if it's kind of going to take some of the shakeout before you see more meaningful contribution from you know those two provinces or just any color there in terms of how we should expect to kind of ramp up in those two provinces to come thanks.
1: Well, you know, you can't forget that the second quarter was an interesting quarter because of the pandemic. Uh, what happened towards the end of the first quarter, February and clearly March, uh, there was a huge uh, purchase at the provincial levels. Uh, a lot of uh, pantry hoarding was going on. And that's had an impact sort of at the beginning of the second quarter, especially April. So, um, you know, that, so when we look at the second quarter, you know there were a lot of things that are that were impacted due to the coronavirus, and it started to smooth out, you know, halfway through the uh, second quarter. But remember that you know we didn't really, you know, in March is when we launched in BC with our, uh, our, our large format, and we actually launched in uh, in the OCS uh, on 420 in April, so <laughs> tied to that date, and then Alberta followed. So a lot of this a lot of our impact really started as far as sales increases towards the, at the middle to the end of uh, the second quarter. And uh, now going forward, uh, this will be the first full quarter that Alberta and uh, Saskatchewan are on. A large format is in all those provinces. And I think we'll start, you know, we'll demonstrate that traction in the third quarter going forward.
3: uh Okay, great. Thanks. That's super helpful. And then if I could just ask one more on the gross margin side, you know, certainly makes sense how we saw some, some pressure sequentially as you rolled out your value formats. Uh, you know, but a couple of things here, you know, as we think about, you know, more value offerings coming online and then also potentially 2.0 products. And then also it seems like you have some opportunity on, on the cost per gram side, you know, how to kind of think about the puts and takes there in terms of the gross margin evolution over the next couple quarters. Thanks.
1: Well, I think this will be the lowest, you know, I think the second quarter. Look, we pushed the envelope in the second quarter and because at the end of the day, we've always said that for us it's about taking cannibalizing the illicit trade. That is the market as we see it, and whether it's dried flour or vapes, which we'll soon be launching, you know, we have to go through the cards we're dealt with in Canada, and the Canadian market is very different than any other market. All these international markets will have – uniqueness to them. So Canada is very different from the U.S. The cards we're dealt with in Canada are that, one, uh, as I've said many times before, we have to pay a huge amount of taxes. Our taxes for our licenses, which is based on revenues, will slowly in in the next six months be close to a half a million dollars a month. We pay $1 a gram excise tax. Uh, There has to be uh, a strong... uh, Margin for the provincial boards to make, and then we have to make our m- margins and be profitable. And the second quarter demonstrated that if we're going to take the market share from the illicit trade, which is clearly, as I mentioned, 80, 90 percent of the existing market, we have to compete with that. In the U.S., that's not the case. You know, uh, less and less, the illicit trade is less and less of a Uh, issue in the U.S. market, but it's clearly there in Canada. So regardless of – so whatever the gross margin came out, and we were very pleased that it came out north of 30%, which I think will be uh, the very low end of the scale going forward, we demonstrated that we can survive, be profitable, be cash flow positive – and take market share. I mean, we were able, if the market moved 5 or 10% from the first or second quarter, we were able to increase our sales 90%. That really shows the power of uh, being aggressive in pricing. And, you know, and I'm not even sure aggressive is the right term. It's a requirement to compete with the illicit trade. So uh, as we introduce more single strains uh, that have uh, drivers like uh, high THC, that uh, commands a greater price, as we deliver our 2.0 products that have higher gross margins, uh, th- those numbers should be increasing. So I think this quarter, uh, as I said, was a huge quarter to demonstrate that we can be viable at these prices and be profitable. So then I think we'll show that going forward.
3: Thanks, Carr. For that That's helpful. Now I'll jump back in the queue.
0: Andrew pratheni with people g m p your line is open.
4: thanks for taking my questions. Um, I wanted to touch on a little bit of the the dynamic of the provincial boards um, you know their purchasing and and the stock levels i mean um you guys are obviously doing exceptionally well uh with sell through uh you know with the with the Stats that you mentioned, P.S.F. being the best brand in Ontario, um, but anecdotally, I've seen uh, at times that your your product uh, is out of stock. Um, could you maybe touch a little bit on that? Provide a little bit of extra color uh, with regards to um, you know inventory levels. I'm wondering, you know, if if the provinces kind of uh, increase. Uh, their, their repurchasing of your product, given it's so popular, uh, that your sales could, could especially in this quarter, have been significantly higher.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a, this is Steve. Uh, thanks for the question, Andrew. It's a continuing issue. Uh, obviously, you know, we see that Pearson Farm sees that. Um, to some extent, uh, these provincial buyers are, let's say, not not. Similar in behavior to what we deal with in the produce business, a commercially driven PL manager uh, uh, buyer uh, who's driven by PNL. Uh, these provincial buyers, uh, Ontario is an example, have I think upwards of, of over 50 suppliers to flour, uh, which is an incredible number of vendors. Uh, so, to some extent, and Pearson Charms has been sold, told this that, that the provincial buyer has a certain dollar amount that he can and buy, uh, and they have been told in certain instances when something's out of stock that essentially it can't be reordered at this time because essentially the, the money for purchases ha- has been spent. So um, to a large extent, obviously an out of stock is a lost sales. That's how we look at it. It's how Pearson Farms looks at it. Uh, to, but to some extent, uh, as, as Mike has mentioned, the Canadian system is the Canadian system. It is one of the, the headwinds that all the LPs have to deal with. Uh, you're dealing with provincial buyers not commercial buyers who are necessarily looking at in, in the case of a produce buyer you know dollars per square foot that that's just not how these provincial buyers are, are currently operating that said they have changed their behavior Pearson farms is seeing more frequent purchases from what occurred in early 2020 and late 2019 which was large purchases um, and we wouldn't see any reorders for a month. Now we're, we're seeing in places like Ontario weekly orders, which is which is helpful uh, to Pearson Farms and allows it to, to restock those SKUs that are moving on uh, and and hopefully you know avoids um, over overshipping SKUs that don't move. This is a consumer branded goods business at the end of the day. So new SKUs as the cases which large format can negatively impact existing sales of small format. That did occur.
1: Yeah, and if I could add to that, I mean we have to understand and be patient that this is a whole new NASA industry and they're feeling their way too and I think they're doing a great job uh in just early days here. So uh so when you see SKUs that are selling well that are out of stock, it's just part of uh you know, building a, a new base business for them as well. So
4: Thanks for that additional color um I could ask one more uh, just on, you know, the expansion of your geographic distribution and adding new provinces, Um, you know, you touched a little bit on that on your prepared remarks, but maybe if you could just uh, give a little bit more color on, um, you know, what exactly uh, are you working on to, to penetrate um, additional markets? What's really the, um, the, the obstacles that you guys kind of face, uh, to turn on that new contract and and uh, win that shelf space.
1: Well, I think uh, the information you know we're receiving for the provincial uh, from the provincial markets that we are in is that we're in a position of uh, one, two, and three in terms of uh, quantity being sold. So, you know, we're very pleased with that. And uh, as I mentioned in my remarks the final uh final Quebec is really the final final major market we want to penetrate, which then will represent seventy to eighty percent or more than eighty percent of the Canadian population. And that's the only one left. But you know, I think Pure Sun Farms has been very prudent in making sure they can deliver to each province's fulfill the orders, understand what their needs are before they take on another one. Because as we know, you know, you always want to deliver. And uh, so I think they've done that, although prudently they've moved very quickly. And Quebec uh, is is on the radar screen for sure. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, God willing, that will happen pretty, pretty soon. And then uh, we'll be where we want to be, more or less. Um, there are some discussions going on with the Maritimes as well. But Quebec is the next big uh, move for us.
4: Thanks for taking my questions.
0: Adam Buckham with Scotiabank. Your line is open.
5: Good morning, Mike and Steve. Thanks for taking my question. I wanted to dig a little deeper on pricing to start. Um, So it sounds like from your comments, you expect to see overall pricing stabilize to an extent moving forward at PSF. So I guess my question is, with where PSF now and the product portfolio is now, do you believe that there's any need uh, in the near term for price adjustments to maintain our gross share? Or do you see the setup, uh, the current setup that's hard to match by the market?
1: Yeah, I think yes to both. I, I think, uh, you know, we we don't spend a lot of time really looking at the competition. We just are driving our business model forward. Uh, and again, we see competing with the illicit trade and understanding that's the industry that's the market that we have to understand and compete against. Now, if others can't compete at that level, it, you know, that's that's their issue, not ours. But uh, that's where we're going. And this, as I said, this was a demonstration that we can compete day in and day out against the illicit trade. Um, while we have all these other cards we have to deal with in terms of the dollar excise tax and, and – uh, the ability, you know, we don't have any ability to use the tools that the illicit trade may in terms of biologicals or the, or pesticides and so on. And it's almost like growing, as I've mentioned in the past, with one arm and leg tied behind your back. Uh, but those are the cards we're dealt with. That is the market in Canada, and we have to learn to compete, and I think they're doing it very well. So with pricing, yeah, they they kind of went to the mat here. And that's why I'm really excited about it, because going to the mat and generating north of 30%, which, you know, 30 to 50% for a traditional mature CPG business, I mean, uh, that's uh, probably a sweet spot, and uh, this is sort of the low end of that. But I don't see that we have to deliver pricing any lower to compete. We've demonstrated that, the 90% increase in volume sold supported that we're at that sweet spot so i think now introductions the introductions of single strains and h and h2o products uh health canada you know the, the vape pens and everything else we're delivering will be at higher margins and our average margin will come up so i think this is sort of the bottom of that range and not to be redundant but uh, it shows where we compete and that gives us a lot of confidence in the sustainability and durability of our business model.
5: That was a great comment. Thanks. Um, So secondly, I guess at a high level, can you provide some color on just how the cost profile is different between, you know, your wholesale sales, the large format and your other SKUs?
1: Probably not too much. Uh, You know, that would probably get, we don't want to give too much out to the competition, but you know, our large format is high quality and it's very good product. So it's just uh we found a way we can do it. I think not saying maybe we were the first to introduce it, but clearly we've been the most successful in that introduction and it's resonating very well with consumers and that's sort of our, you know, a little bit of our IP, so to speak. Uh and uh but we're you know we're going you know we're looking at producing uh we're doing a lot of things in our new processing center uh hand drying and you know coming up with the creation of products that uh others may deem more of a craft side and uh so we have a full array to meet all consumer needs going forward but the bulk i think the bulk of the market market still remains flour and the value added pack is still going to rule going forward so
5: Okay, that's great. I'll just squeeze one last one um, more on the produce side. So I think Steve uh, made might, might, might have mentioned um, the supply and demand dynamics in the tomato market and how it was a tailwind for pricing. Can you maybe provide some detail on what you're seeing in the market currently and then when you might expect supply to catch up to where demand is?
1: Yeah, well, like I've always said with the produce challenges, the produce challenges are caused by the NAFTA agreement that change the dynamics, and it would be similar that if the Canadian government opens up importation of cannabis from uh, South America, as an example, it's going to change the dynamic, and that's what happened in the produce industry. We compete with Mexico, and I've said, and we grow in Mexico. You know, it came to the point where we can't beat them, join them, because – It's a labor intensive industry and uh, we're paying 20 bucks an hour all in, whether it's our Canadian or U.S. uh, assets. And that includes, of course, benefits and all. And Mexico is still more or less at $6 per day, per day for agriculture wage. So, you know, uh, so I think with the pandemic, what's happened is obviously people aren't eating out. As I said, in my remarks, Uh, 90 plus percent of our sales are to retail food chains, not food service, which has taken a huge hit due to nobody eating out. So we were fortunate there. And people are eating at home more. It's driving greater fresh food sales. Uh, And I think we're actually seeing uh, much more of a stronger interest in U.S. product as well with some of our customers. So I think that's driving it. And I think it's We feel it's pretty sustainable. I think there's going to be a lot of changes in the behavior of how people operate. People are getting comfortable eating at home. (laughs) So uh, we feel good about that. And, you know, we continue to work on our relationships. Uh, Part of the result was replacing volume that we lost in conversion of our greenhouses. And uh, so I I think uh, we'll continue on. I think uh, I hope that answers your question.
5: Yeah, no, it certainly does.
0: Thanks. That's it for me. Eric Delori with Craig Hallam. Your line is open.
5: Okay, great.
6: Thanks for taking my questions, guys. Um, uh, so I wanted to focus on um, the wholesale market. Um, you know, it's good to hear, uh, at least on the retail side, that, you know, you think this this uh, price level is sort of the bottom here. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, you've seen a bit of uh, revival in the wholesale market. Uh, would love to just hear your commentary on if you think this is sustainable or, you know, should we still think about these as uh, sort of opportunistic, lumpy sales?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's hard to predict longer term. Uh, we, you know, if we looked a year ago where we were in wholesale, uh, not just in terms of volume in the second quarter of last year but in pricing, that's dropped off uh, a third of what it was. So that was probably non-predictable a year ago. So to sit here now and say what it would look like long-term, it's, it's uh, unknown. I mean, part of our wholesale conduit is uh, extractors. We have good relationships with those folks and uh, hopefully that continues on. But I think at some point, uh, you know, other we're working with other LPs, and let's face it, in our produce business, we've worked with competitors for years. We have good relationships with competitors. We supply competitors, and to a degree, uh, you know, I think that will get some um, traction going forward. So I don't necessarily see it growing exponentially, but I think it's going to come back from where it was in, uh, you know, the uh, fourth quarter that was pretty non-existent
6: okay That's a good caller um and then last one from me i just wanted to touch on the 2.0 products um you know we've seen kind of uh, uh, some hit and miss um results in the market um you know vape going to be doing better than uh, oils or soft gels for example um just kind of wondering uh what your guys takeaway has been seeing competitors uh in the market um and then if you can um you know what kind of uh, product mix do you think um is reasonable going forward, you know, should we think of it uh, sort of as like 75% flower for you guys and 25% 2.0 products or, um, you know, is that, is that kind of off the market? Just any color would be helpful.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, flower rules. And if you look even in the U.S., I mean, the major markets, uh, California, Colorado, I mean, flower still rules. And I think it will for a long, long time. I think uh, the management team, the leadership, uh, Mendesh, uh, you know, he has a real clear, understanding of seeing what's working with others before we jump in. And uh, so uh, we've taken a very prudent approach to what products we're going to launch on the 2.0, and Vape Pens as an example, yes is one, and see how that goes. And as I said in my remarks, once we enter a particular segment, we want to work it as best we can, make sure our price point is right, we can make money doing it, and t- try to take a commanding lead. And I think, you know, that's on the horizon and uh, that and oil and probably not much more in the foreseeable short term to we make sure we can deliver those benefits and excel there. But I think, uh, you know, when you look at the other markets, confectionery and beverage, they're still very, you know, very small markets. And uh, they still have to be proven out, see what the consumer preferences are going forward. So we're going to be prudent before we jump into those uh but as I said, flour and uh we you know we still have a ways to go in trying to dominate and build our market share there and, and we're very focused on that priority.
0: Rahul Tauergasser with Raymond James, your line is open.
7: Uh, morning, Mike and Steve. Uh, thanks so much for taking You're my around. questions and, and uh, congrats again on, you know, your, your EBITDA streak. It's um, definitely to be commended. So I guess my first question is a bit more of a macro question. You know, we're, sort of, we're seeing the market, uh, you know, as a whole growing and in terms of dollar amount. Um, but that said, of course, now we're also seeing, you know, incumbents, including yourselves, uh, you know, with relatively flat Uh, revenue quarter to quarter. So, um, you know, are you able to sort of comment on this dynamic? You know, what do you think is driving it? And and do you think that it's something that will adjust over time as the market matures?
1: I definitely think it will. I mean, the second quarter was a crazy quarter. I mean, you know, it's almost like we're forgetting the impact of the pandemic in in the consumer's minds in uh, March and April. Uh, That was just, you know... 60 days ago 90 days ago so uh if you remember when we reported and, and the other uh, lps reported it was a very uh unstable time It was hard to predict we weren't sure if the infrastructure rollouts by the provinces like ontario would slow uh people were staying at home so it's really hard to look at what's happened there. So I think when, you know, we're already into the third quarter and I can tell you in the third quarter, we're seeing, you know, much more stabilization and we're seeing growth. So I don't think the second quarter is probably indicative of where the uh, market is going. Uh, And that's why I'm really pleased with it because, you know, we went through that and we got through it in a very strong way. And uh, I think uh, we, we've we actually said that we see uh, growth in the third and fourth quarter continuing, uh, not just because of the launch of our new products uh, and new strains, but uh, increasing market share and uh, further penetrating and cannibalizing illicit trade. Yeah. Great, so on the macro level, I think, you know, I feel very optimistic about it. Right. That's really
7: helpful. And then just one follow-up question, you know, you identified Quebec as, you know, as the next vanguard um, province to penetrate. We recognize that HEXO has a, you know, quote-unquote preferred supplier position in a market, whether, you know, artificial or not. Uh, you know, how do you plan on dealing with that particular dynamic in Quebec as you penetrate?
1: Well, that's classified. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Let's just see what the results are going forward. Okay, great. And then just very
7: quickly, um, you know, I'll just squeeze in a quick question about, you know, international. So obviously there is the Dutch can grow and then uh, the, the deal in Asia. Um, so, you know, how do you see your broader international strategy uh, rolling out and, and committing capital uh, uh, to this sort of outside long-term uh, opportunity?
1: Yeah, well, that's the key is long-term. I mean, you could break these segments out. People can say, well, the CBD market, we thought we would have a lot greater traction today from December of 18 uh, upon decriminalization, but of course the monkey wrench of the FDA thrown in there, and we said we're taking a prudent approach. But we're very committed, and we see that as a huge, very exciting market that we definitely want to be a major force in, whether we build it, buy it, or work with partners in that market. But we want to stay a little bit on the sidelines so there's clarity. From the FDA we just think it's prudent right now so that said uh, there's you know we've always said if and when on legalization of high THC decriminalization of cannabis in the US uh, obviously many folks are talking about it uh, even uh, the tax uh, opportunities for the government and local municipalities are resonating elections coming up so it's anybody's guess what happens but the opportunity is massive, and comparing it to Canada, it's just so massive. And, you know, we're ready to go. I mean, I, I would be honest with you that every day that I I don't really focus too much on the Canadian market because Pure Sun Farms is doing their job and, and penetrating and doing well. But I look at the U.S. opportunities, and I wonder, you know, how long before uh, – anyone not in that marketplace will will not have the same opportunities as, as those who can compete uh, in the US market where we can today however that being said having uh, such a large footprint in what we consider the best growing region or one of the best growing regions you know Texas where we are in Southwest Texas uh, is, is probably the equivalent of what BC is to Canada in terms of uh, growing conditions, so we have that footprint. That we can we can pivot instantly, and uh, maybe we'll go that alone. Maybe we'll do it in partnership with others down the road. But that's a massive opportunity. But in the meantime, we're just not going to rest on our laurels. So we're looking at opportunities internationally. And I'll tell you about the Dutch can grow. What's so exciting about that is it just shows. A movement of a specific European nation that has been very, very myopic on legalization of cannabis for decades, starting to show the trends of loosening up on uh, the old uh, mentality that cannabis cannot be legalized. And that's exciting for us because that's one of many countries in the EU. And that's why we're excited to be there. But these opportunities, you know, are also very long term. Uh, You know, we're not looking at adding uh, positive cash flow uh, in the short term. But so the decisions we make today are a combination of what we think can be a short-term benefit, medium-term, and long-term. We want to be at all three levels because the opportunity is massive over the next decade. And, uh, you know, we're pursuing, pursuing that.
7: Great. Thanks very much for taking my questions. uh Paul for me today.
8: Thank you.
0: Doug Cooper with Beacon Securities. Your line is open.
8: Hey, good morning, guys. Mike, um, just on the value pack, you said it was 80%. I think you said it was 80% of revenue in the quarter. How big do you think uh, the category can be in total? Percentage uh, of the market.
2: A large format?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. All right. I, I – I think under the current, I mean, again, like we saw in tomato business, we've seen that we've seen a, a movement towards the, the, the lower price products. So I, I think for the for foreseeable future, you know, the large format for dry flour will be the predominant skew in the marketplace.
1: Yeah, if we even look at our numbers, like March when we just started to launch it, our small format was greater than 50%, and we were at about. 40% on large, that jumped to 60 in April, 76 in May, 86 in June. So in the second quarter, it really went from almost non existent in the first quarter to 78% as compared, and small being 20. So I think that can give you an indication Now when we launch new SKUs, it may change, but I, I think a 70-30, 60-40, 80-20 is uh, clearly possible.
8: So the, so the the large uh, value pack priced at uh, I think when you break it down 350 a gram for a retailer uh for the for a retail price price point seems to be great for the consumer would you put that same price point in a smaller package Is that part of the SK new SKUs you're coming out with
1: Not necessarily You know I think we have to be attractive there as well but maybe not to the extent of the large format uh, yeah, your packaging costs and all that
2: stuff, handling costs on the smaller format is it, substantially higher than it is on the large format.
4: So you, you, I
2: mean, you can't do that in the same value that you can on the large format. That's the beauty of the large format to the consumer, right?
1: Yeah. So when you really look at where we are, maybe because of the, a number of reasons, but in June at eighty-six percent large format versus small, that really drove the margin down, but still north of 30%, which I think is pretty incredible. So uh, as we introduce more products and our volume goes up, even if the large format remains a very large percentage uh, with increasing sales, uh, we feel very confident our gross margins will increase, even if we maintain that low margin, lower aggressive pricing rather on the large format. And, and
2: speaking of the reason for that, Doug, Doug, was going to retail at N D C at the black market price of $99 you know, per ounce. That's, that was the focus of the Pearson Farms Management Team. They wanted to go to market at the black market price.
8: You touched on that gross margin uh, you think potentially can move higher uh, as you progress throughout the year and into next year. Steve, can you just talk to us about the accounting uh, for uh, 2.0 products? considering I think you've said in the past that, you know, in one sense, trim is garbage uh, from an accounting perspective. So what what would be the – you know, how does the accounting work on that product?
2: Well, for us, again, as I said, the cost program is a non-industry standard. So uh, I know you and others are trying to track that metric. And I asked the question, well, does that include trim or not in the denominator of, of production? We do not. Pearson Farms does not include trim. Um, Because ultimately, we're we're in the business of growing flour uh, and using the flour, but Trim is uh, used and utilized in cannabis 2.0 products, being vape pens, et cetera. Obviously, the cannabinoid content of Trim is the same as it is with uh, number one flour. So for pure Sun Farms, I can't speak to anyone else, for pure Sun Farms, cannabis uh, 2.0 will um, be helpful in our gross margin because we value the trim at zero on on our accounting books so that'll that'll okay. improve the margin of cannabis 2.0 so that input um, the percentage of trim
1: in the cannabis 2.0 product is zero cost yeah and, and also Doug I want to add to something I have some numbers you know just looking at where we're headed in uh sorta of July is uh where the large format was eighty percent of the volume in Q two it sort of dropped to sixty percent in July and even down to forty five fifty uh initially in August. So, you know, it's, it's gonna be interesting to see if a big driver of that was also tied to the pandemic as well. Uh and uh, we'll get some more color on that over the next quarter or two to see how it averages out so i think it's still it's still too early to say specifically what that split will be
8: okay and then uh, just two more quick ones for me uh the 12.9 million of uh, net sales in the quarter how much was that on was ontario <laughs>
2: we don't we we one i don't have that information and two i wouldn't give it to you if i have it anyway that, that's
8: and uh, CapEx requirements for the second half, given you, you're pulling back, I guess, on um, uh, D3. Maybe just give an update where you are on um, uh, D2. Obviously, that's uh, you're yeah, not planting I mean, it. So uh, what's a CapEx?
1: No, there's no real CapEx requirements for the rest of this year. Delta 2 has had most of the investment in there. It may only need a, a few million dollars to kick it off. Uh, and we're starting to look at you know longer term projections of uh, capacity requirements into the third quarter next year of uh, where we feel we may start turning uh, delta 2 on as well but uh, you know we're going to produce what we can sell and maintain our inventory levels at the level we want uh you've seen a lot of companies i think just producing 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 can't sell for whatever reason taking write downs and uh, we're just going to manage that process. But uh, as far as CapEx goes, uh, we're, we're in good shape.
8: And, sorry, my final one, Just uh, you, you just mentioned it as well, just to ask the question. Uh, we've seen a lot of inventory write-downs at other LPs. Pure Sun Farm's inventory stood at $36 million U.S. at the end of the quarter. Any comments or comfort around that inventory level?
1: We're, you know, we're, we're comfortable
2: with the inventory level. Obviously, uh, you know, we tested for recoverability, so you know, we've gone through that exercise. So very very confident with the inventory that we have. Um, this is a consumer goods industry uh, at the end of the day. So as, as new SKUs launch, um, it, is, uh, it could impact in the future down the road on uh, in our inventory valuation. And that said, the beauty of, of cannabis is you can, you can extract, so if, if you have a strain that hasn't been successful or is negatively impacted by a new strain that we've launched, and, and the reason large format is down to some extent in July and August um, as a percentage of, of Pearson farm sales is because they have launched new strains, so that's the beauty of that, um, and they've taken a strain back in Ontario that didn't perform as well and was negatively impacted by the strong performance of other species, is you can take it back and extract it and use the cannabinoid content in cannabis 2.0 so uh getting to mike's point managing your production and and manage for what you can sell and use and utilize in the near term is the way to avoid inventory write-offs down the road
1: yeah and we also feel like comfortable going forward with an inventory level of about 15 to 20 uh, ton. so because as we roll out new products uh, we have that so uh, to just on Steve's point we're comfortable where we're at for sure okay great and that's why we me. mentioned you. in the call by the way we did curtail some of our production at the beginning of the summer uh, just to be able to catch up and uh, and that's just managing the process that has nothing to do with COVID or, or the pandemic that's just managing <laughs> the expectations
8: Perfect. Thanks,
0: guys. Our final question comes from a line of Scott Fortune with ROP Capital Partners. Your nine is open. Hey, guys. This is Nick stepping in for Scott. Um, most of my questions have already been answered, but I just wanted some color on the CBD branding side of things longer term. How are you guys thinking about building your CBD brand, brand, brand sorry, globally in the U.S. ahead of any sort of FDA movement? You mentioned being on hold here, but any color in terms of brand strategy would be helpful. Thanks.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh it's uh we just don't want to take uh any risks there, but uh we have a we have a program uh we're looking at products that are not being scrutinized by the FDA and deciding if we want to develop. We're still sitting on very viable high-quality biomass. Uh so and we're looking at other opportunities with other uh, other companies. So I think, you know, I can't say, Scott, at this point, we're going to move forward because we just want to be clear with what the FDA guidelines are going to be. Uh, and uh, we felt a little more confident in recent uh, weeks. Uh, hopefully, after the election, uh, things uh, get focused on it. And uh, so really looking at 2021 – to uh sort of uh get back on course
0: great that's it for me thanks guys
1: Thanks. thanks. okay i just want to thank everybody uh for joining us today i hope we provided clarity uh i personally am very very excited about where we stand today and what we've demonstrated uh now i i we're clear that our foundation for our business model is solid and uh we can build upon that going forward and then start to look at other opportunities uh both domestically and internationally so we're excited we look forward to reporting the next quarter and we want to thank everyone for participating today and look forward to speaking to you again
0: this concludes the village farm internationals second quarter 2020 financial results call